The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Mr. Philby, what? He's gone. What? Why, look. I think I understand. You see the imprint? This is where the time machine originally stood. But the Moorlocks moved it. They dragged it across the lawn, right into the Sphinx, right there. And Weena was standing here when he last saw her, right here, the same space in a different time. So he dragged his heavy machine back in here, scratching the floor, so that he could appear outside the Sphinx again and help the Eloi build a new world. Build a new world for himself. Right where he left her. Yeah. It's not like George to return empty-handed, to try to rebuild a civilization without a plan. He must have taken something with him. Nothing. Except three books. Which three books? I don't know. Is it important? Oh, I suppose not. Only, which three books would you have taken? Good morning, London. It's Thursday, August 28th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. It's not right-winged. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today. We're 519-661-3600 is a number you can call to reach us. And, of course, you can always write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Today on the show, or in the second half of the show, I want to demonstrate exactly why Megan Walker should be the one to apologize for the embarrassment brought to the city over the whole Gazette issue, because this is just an outrageous scandal, and it needs to be called to the fore. I'm going to spend the second half of the show outlining point by point why this is so. And for the first half of the show, we're going to be talking about time and the power of the written word and the power of ideas during time. And Robert, you're going to kick that one off for us this morning, I understand. Yeah, a bit of a, a lighter uh, piece, I guess, uh, rather than the heavier topic that you're going to be talking about in the last half hour. Uh, that clip, the opening clip, of course, was from The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, the George Powell production, the movie. Um, I've seen it several times, great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, it, it poses quite the question when he asks, if you're going to go into the future, a future that has lost all knowledge of the past, what three books would you take to help um, develop a new civilization? Right. Now, when I asked my wife what book she would take, she immediately suggested a, <laughs> get this, a recipe book. A recipe book. Yeah, well, she said you got to eat. Okay. <laughs> and, okay, that's not too bad. And a book on how uh, to punch a moose or a deer. Or um, 
things like that. Yeah. Um, and how to make soap. So very practical, very, very practical. Yeah, day-to-day -day living kind of things. Yeah. Now, the three books I'd take to the future would be, of course, A Family Medical Guide, um, the Gr McGraw-Hill Encyclopedia of Science Technology, if I can just cheat a bit, because it's 20 volumes. Right. <laughs> so it's not a single book. But, um, and if I could be allowed um, another book, it would be um, a philosophy book, Objectivism, mm -hmm. The Philosophy of Ayn Rand by Leonard Peikoff. Now, the utility of the first two books is obvious. You know, survival. Got to eat, got to take care of yourself and your body and your family and your health, and um, the science and technology um, information will be all kept. But the third might raise eyebrows. A book on philosophy, and not even a book from the philosopher herself, but a treatise on her philosophy. Now, if in the distant future all knowledge was lost and we lived as lesser animals do, eking out a a meager existence, living from day to day with no time for leisure, art or science, we would benefit from a man from the past visiting us with knowledge of how to cure diseases, build a microscope, or smelt iron. All that information would have been lost. We would also benefit from a man who would gift us the knowledge of a philosophy for living on Earth. Now, if one of those books was Rand's Atlas Shrugged, or The Fountainhead, for, for example, we would not have a context in which to place those fictional novels. Good point. If it were the nonfiction um, Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal by Rand, the same vacuum would exist as it deals with the fundamental points of trade um, in a context that has been lost. If, on the other hand, we were given a book which covers the entire gamut of a cogent philosophy from metaphysical first principles through to concept generation, ethical considerations, politics, and finally aesthetics, we would have the basis upon which to create such a society that within but a few generations, the Family Medical Guide and the Encyclopedia of Science and Technology would be out of date. Such a book is Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand by Leonard Peikoff. Now, the thought experiment by um, H.G. Wells, The Time Machine, is instructive as it causes us to think of the implications, the cause and effect relationship of ideas to history. Consider what the outcome of a future might be if the books were religious texts of the Middle East, say, say the Old uh, New Testaments and the Quran. The resultant civilization, if you could call it that, um, would, if the text were to be believed by the population in the future, built upon a philosophy of altruism and the philosophy that you must sacrifice your life to others, to the community, to the church, to God. We've already seen the outcome of such primitive philosophies in the Dark Ages of Europe, or the brutish atrocities being carried out today. And in the Dark Ages of the Time Machine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where that clip came from, eh? Yeah. Um... But over in the Middle East today, in Syria, in Iraq, you've got the Muslim Brotherhood, you've got proponents of Sharia, ISIS, and all them doing amazing atrocities to the citizens over there. I don't even know because of those books, because of those ideas. Yeah, they're 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 basing their actions on the ideas of a book, a book that was written fifteen hundred years ago, well fourteen hundred years ago. Uh, I think they're more using a book to justify their immoral and outrageous actions. Well, yeah, but, but they wouldn't uh, be able to do it without the book. That's my well, point. the book gives them some sort of legitimacy for some reason. Exactly. 
they're working on the ideas in that book because the, their actions are all actually covered in that book. The beheadings and the stonings and that kind of a thing. Killing infidels. Now, if the books were novels of fiction, they would lack any context and as such would perhaps be meaningless. And I'm just saying, like, for example, Alice Shrugged or um, any other work of fiction. Now, if the books were technical or medical journals, but there's no philosophy to guide the people of the future, what the outcome would be would be anyone's guess, as the philosophy of a people establish, is, establishes its motivations, defines its morality, and guides its political action. Technical books in an age where reason has been abandoned for whimsical fantasy or belief in magic or superstition would be useless at best or treated as heresy at worst and destroyed. It's a philosophic idea which guides man's journey through history. And we have only to look at our own history to see the power of the written word in action. 4,000 years ago were planted the seed of stories of sacrifice and altruism when Abraham attempted to murder his son Isaac in a sacrifice to his god Yahweh. The notion that one's life was not one's own but belonged to a capricious supernatural deity was born and subsequent stories in religious texts drove home the idea. The resultant morality and politics led to thousands of years of stagnation in intellectual inquiry. The metaphysics of the religious text was supernaturalism. The epistemology was the written word of the authors of the religious text. That's the only source of knowledge that was permitted. The morality was that of altruism and sacrifice. The politics was one of despotism of religious clerics. And the aesthetics were the grotesque. Just look at the art, if uh, from whatever art exists of that period. And you'll see two-dimensional uh, grotesque images. It wasn't until slow contact with other societies through trade and the technical development, such as the printing press, did new ideas start to creep into the culture of death, which was Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, weakening its hold on the minds of man in, in the West. Now, the ideas and written words of those great minds which rejected the church fueled the Reformation, the Renaissance, and the Enlightenment. The result were years of unhindered inquiry into the nature of the universe and its consequential advancement of science and technology. Aesthetics changed from primitive two-dimensional images of Jesus being tortured on the cross to Michelangelo's David. In more recent times, the philosophy of um, philosophers like Immanuel Kant and his disintegrative model of knowledge has fueled such movements as Nazism, yeah. progressive education. That's because Emmanuel couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, groan. <laughs> and he's also the father of moral relativism. Yeah. The result is departments of feminist studies in universities and art typified by the random drops of paint flying from the brush of a Jackson Pollock. This is history. But what of the future? Can we reasonably predict what the society of man will be in the future? If you were to ask me to predict what our future would be like in 10 years, I'd find that harder to come up with an answer than if you asked me to predict what life will be like 4,000 years from now. Really? I would. It's so difficult to, to predict what our life is going to be like 10 years from now. Remember back in the 70s when people would predict we'd be in flying cars and well, all that, those that are stuff? Well, entirely different kinds of predictions. I don't think you're going to be predicting technological advancements of 3,000 years from now. Are I, you? I think that would be almost impossible. Whereas, I mean, you can predict. You could be wrong, though. <laughs> whereas if you were talking short term, your predictions would be more on the technical side, wouldn't they? 
10 yeah. years? I mean, what else can change? I mean, things can change overnight. Yeah, sure, you can make Putin could be here tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who would have, who would have uh, predicted 9-11? Even though, I guess, in hindsight, it was predictable. But um, look at how the world has changed since that. You know, um, but I think it's just easier for me to predict something that's going to happen 4,000 years and up because I won't be around for you, anybody to upbraid me because and of my no, mistakes. Nobody hold you accountable <laughs> for it. <laughs> But before I get into a little bit of prediction about what uh, life's going to be like 4,000 years from now, let's give a listen to uh, these uh, messages. You know, in the future, when we're disembodied brains in jars, we're going to look back on this as eight hours well wasted. <laughs> I don't want to be in a jar. I want my brain in an android body. Eight feet tall and ripped. I'm with you. I just have to make sure if I'm a synthetic human, I'd still be Jewish. I promised my mother. I suppose you could have your android penis circumcised. But that's something your rabbi would have to discuss with a manufacturer. Not to mention you'd have to power down on Saturdays. seems to keep them away. What are you doing? Why did you put your hand in the fire? I never saw it before. You... No knowledge of fire? No books? No. I'm terribly sorry. I'm sorry I was angry with your people. I had no right to be. No more than if I'd visited the... Island of Bali in my own time. Try to tell me, the Morlocks, who or what are the Morlocks? Are they animals or people? Well, what about yourself? The past. Don't your people ever speak of the past? There's no past. Do they ever wonder about the future? There's no future. Well, the past, man's past, is, is mainly a grim struggle for survival. But there have been moments when a few voices have spoken up. And these rare moments have made the history of man, man's past, a glorious thing. I refuse to believe it's dead and gone. We've had our dark ages before and this is just another one of them. All it needs is for someone to show you the way out. I'm only a tinkering mechanic, but I'm sure there must be this hidden spark in one of your people. If only I can kindle that spark. My coming here will have some meaning. You know, the power of ideas, Bob, specifically the power of the printed word, cannot be underestimated. Uh, who has the most influence here? A man who figure out, uh, figures out that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and keeps it to himself, 
the man who figures out that 2 plus 2 is 4 and writes it down and writes down the proof for others to learn. Obviously, the printed word has the power. Uh, and the guy who writes 2 plus 2 equals 5, 10, or 15, he becomes a politician. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's the Immanuel Kant of the yeah, age. It's yeah, a, it's a, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Um, we stand on the shoulders of giants, of course, and while modern man has been around for uh, 200,000 years, at least anatomically, it took 150,000 years to develop language, and 50,000 years from then to reach the point we are today. From the time of the Enlightenment, we've uh, progressed to the point where I would confidently say that 99.9% .9 of all technical and scientific knowledge has developed over the last scant 100 years. Why? because of the preservation and communication of knowledge. You know, I get rather depressed, and you and I talked about this before just the other day, I get rather depressed walking into a library these days as I see the physical books being replaced by computer monitors. Mm -hmm. You know, a book can last unchanged for hundreds of years, if not thousands, while data stored in a computer is at the mercy of power surges and inadequate archiving or in redundancy, lack of redundancy, if at some point in our... And technological updates where old, old oh, yeah. stored files may no longer be useful. That's yeah. what scares me. Try finding the a five and a quarter inch floppy uh, yeah. drive player <laughs> now, you know. You've got to <laughs> constantly upgrade just to, rest just, to, just to keep what you've got. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've lost uh, lots of data on, on, on drives that I hadn't backed up and gone forever, at least out of my hands. Um, you know, if at some point in the not-too-distant future books are replaced by electronic storage and we succumb to a particularly strong electromagnetic pulse from an enemy's bomb or a, a solar flare we could very well be thrown back into the Dark Ages if somebody hasn't somewhere stored books, some physical, um, instead of electronic, record of the knowledge of the ages. Knowledge and its preservation is at the crux of any prediction of the distant future. If knowledge survives and man is left free to make up his own mind and how to think, then the future looks optimistic. And I suspect that if we suppress the savages who would turn us back to the days of Abraham, Muhammad, or Jesus, we can, as a species, conquer death and populate the stars. If, on the other hand, as Leonard Peikoff has suggested, we destroy knowledge and revert back to belief in the supernatural and the morality of sacrifice and altruism, it's not inconceivable that 4,000 years from now, some morons will be sacrificing their sons to their imaginary gods, and life will be hell on earth all over again, just as it is now in places like Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Given that we survived the assault on the mind by the religionists and the Kantians, the advances of men will be nothing short of miraculous, to misuse that word. I foresee in 4,000 years that death will indeed be conquered, and that immortality, or at least a considerably long lifespan, will be commonplace. Our population will be in the tens or hundreds of billions. I can see that more people will be living in ships in space than on Earth. And for, by the way, for a more detailed view on my thoughts on the future of space travel, I have a listen to show number 201, where I go to it in depth. Mm -hmm. I foresee that we'll have uh, made contact with uh, the alien life forms that continue to buzz this planet and currently defy our study. By the way, I talked about that before in a future show. On the dark side of things, but this, of course, is a matter of opinion, I also believe that we will become more of a cybernetic race, which incorporates communication and information technology into our bodies, so that we are be, we'll be able to communicate with anyone at any time and have at our fingertips the sum total of all human knowledge. 
Star Trek's Borg race comes to mind, or perhaps something uh, steampunk. Well, I can just see what the police will do with regard to distracted driving. <laughs> they can't take your phone away. They've got to take you away from yourself, I guess. Is that how that's going to work? Cybernetic <laughs> implants will give us instant access to anything we wish to know, but it might also remove any sense of privacy we may hold dear today. I guess that goes into your policing to, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as we have a political system in place to protect our freedom of choice, life will be good, I think. And if we choose to be like Borg, then it's our choice. You know, it's obvious that we have much of this technology today. I mean, I got you and I have right here in front of us cell phones where we can talk to anybody who we know on the planet, and basically the internet is at our disposal. But I'm talking more about having um, implants. And speaking of which, there's something right there that nobody ever predicted: the yeah. internet. You go back into science fiction, even go back thirty, forty, fifty years, you won't see any references to something similar to what we've got today. Very, no, very they talked few. About super even Star Trek didn't even even entertain the idea no. of an intranet until well into Deep Space Nine, yeah. I think. They, didn't, uh, they did talk about supercomputers taking over the world, or an artificial intelligence taking over the world, but not um, uh, the, the daily man's average, or average daily man being no. able to a- access data like this. No one would have Nobody pictured an, uh, an iPhone or a smartphone no. or anything like yeah. that. Dick Tracy, they thought about it in, in the Dick Tracy comic books. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, because Dick Tracy had a little watch. Mm-hmm. It's just coming out now, by the way. It's just like the iPhone. Is that right? <laughs> and he could communicate to the moon mate on the moon with it or something. Yeah. I don't know how that worked. You know, that kind of cyber <laughs> technology, the implantable stuff that goes into your head, you don't carry it around anymore, will also give us improved strength through uh, Wolverine, like speaking of uh, comic books, Wolverine-like implants and genetic engineering will remove all instances of genetic diseases and deformities. And quite frankly, I think these advantages may be achievable in the next couple of hundred years rather than 4,000. I can't even imagine what 4,000 years of uh, a free uh, society unfettered by superstitious beliefs will come up with. It just like it boggles the mind what, what could happen. Life in our utopian future will involve less work and more pleasure, just as today one has to work only 40 hours a week to enjoy a middle-class lifestyle, whereas our grandfather's fathers had to toil from sunup to sundown to barely survive. If we don't survive the assault on the mind by the religionists and the Kantians, then it's easy to predict a rather bleak future 4,000 years from now. Death, disease, misery, war, a short life of toil and torture for those able to survive, despotic governments or anarchy. There's really no difference, by the way, in those two political states, despotism and anarchy. What I do know, that as the time of Abraham, and as at the time of Martin Luther and Voltaire, we are now, right now, at a cusp in history. history. We are on the brink of falling to the savagery of political Islam, and almost as savage political Christianity. Leonard Peacock chooses the Christianity one. He says the United States is going to just fall to that. We can't turn our eyes from the goings-on in Syria any more than we can ignore the actions and words of the current president of the United States and the millions who put him there. Now, these forces for destruction have to be combated if we're ever able to see a positive future. But you know, Bob, I'm, I'm forever the optimist. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you're, you, you're a pessimist when it yes. comes to the future? Well, I, I just look at what's going on around me right now. Certainly political trends are not going in the direction you and I would like to see. No, no. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, what's even happened here at the campus recently, I think uh, when, when you have newspapers like the Gazette, you know, giving apologies to people who don't deserve them and who should be given an apology themselves, mm-hmm. uh, talk about going back to the Dark Ages. 
and and not even believing in basic things like freedom of speech. Uh, it's frightening. And I think that's what I want to get into coming up next after this break. Maybe, maybe what gives me optimism is the fact that I'm sitting here right now telling you these ideas uh, without censorship. But we still have that. Uh, no, today. But wait till tomorrow. Today. You never know. Yeah. Okay, let's carry on. Listen. Weena, you hear that? Yes. Machines? No, Morlocks. Wait, you mean those animals run machines? They are Morlocks. But have you ever seen the machines? No, only heard of them. Well, who told you? The rings. What sort of rings? Rings that talk. Could you show me these talking rings? These are the talking rings? Yes. They speak. Of what? Things no one here understands. Make it talk. The war between the East and West, which is now in its 326th year, has at last come to an end. There is nothing left to fight with and few of us left to fight. The atmosphere has become so polluted with deadly germs that it can no longer be breathed. There is no place on this planet that is immune. The last surviving factory for the manufacture of oxygen has been destroyed. Stockpiles are rapidly diminishing. And when they are gone, we must die. My name is of no consequence. The important thing you should know is that I am the last who remembers how each of us, man and woman, made his own decision. Some chose to take refuge in the great caverns and find a new way of life far below the Earth's surface. The rest of us decided to take our chances in the sunlight. Small as those chances might be. From the talking rings, I learned how the human race divided itself and how the world of the Eloi and the Morlocks began. looks like the Western Gazette has done it again. Critics of the student newspaper say its Frost Week issue has crossed the line when it comes to the drinking, drugs and sexual harassment. Brian Bicknell is following the story and joins us with the details. Brian. Well, Terry, it seems every few years we hear about the paper taking heat over so-called satirical content in its Frost issue. While the Gazette says it's trying to appeal to students in a light-hearted manner, some readers aren't laughing. Western campus is quiet for the time being, but there's a storm raging over this student newspaper. Three articles in particular are causing a stir. Drinking game, advice on drugs, and dating a teaching assistant. Get sexual, says the article. Feel free to be liberal with those top buttons on your blouse. These TAs wonder if it goes too far. If we wrote something like that as TAs, like how do you get with your, you know, your students? 
That would be totally inappropriate. That would never fly. Some say the article on drugs reads like a how-to manual on popular drugs like marijuana, cocaine, and ecstasy, which it says induces euphoria and intimacy with others. After trying it at home with a friend, it's best to take it for a rave or some social event with music. Addiction specialist Linda Sibley says it missed an opportunity to educate. The majority of young people are not using drugs. Um, and if they haven't used drugs already, my other concern is that in this article, it's so matter of fact, it's like, well, you're probably going to use drugs because you've just never had the opportunity, so here's what you need to know. And that's what I think is really irresponsible. The article goes on to say, if you can't exercise control, do just like mom said and don't do drugs. There's always alcohol and hookers too. That's a spoiled, privileged little person's response to the way they expect the world to be. I mean, really, I'm disgusted. Kate Wiggins is with Women's Community House. Remain optimistic that we're going to another place. Um, and then there are these things that happen that uh, lead me to believe that we haven't really grown up very much at the University of Western Ontario. For its part, the Gazette says it will not apologize. The editor-in-chief summing up the controversy as a lesson learned. We don't condone uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment, or any other kind of violence uh, like that. We don't condone excessive uh, alcohol consumption or illegal uh, drug use. And I think that we, you know, we take this feedback seriously, and we will learn from this. Western issued a response from Vice President Academic Janice Deakin. She commented on the article on Dating TA, saying she is disappointed, finds it objectionable, the paper would publish a column promoting students attempting to have inappropriate relationships. There have been no responses on the articles on drugs and drinking from Western. Tara. Thank you very much, Brian. My goodness. <coughs> what, a, what a complete hoax that this was, you know, brought upon us. And, uh, you know, that was, of course, from um, CTV News from two days ago when they reported on uh, this whole Gazette situation. They say that Western Gazette has done it again. Not true. What well, Megan Walker did it again. Mm -hmm. yes. It's deja vu all over again. This was the very issue with which this show, Just Right, was launched back in 2007. At that time, Megan Walker led the charge against the Gazette. And the Gazette gave in to her pressure at that time too. It's now 2014 and they did it again by putting out their so-called apology, which I think is really due us from Megan Walker, not from the Gazette. And I'll explain why. Happened to listen to um, Andy Uthman's show yesterday. <coughs> was that yesterday or the day before? I forget now. But uh, Megan Walker was on about this whole situation. And, you know, they were saying the Frosh edition of the Western Gazette is seriously embarrassing for Western. No, Megan Walker is the embarrassment. And that was Andy Uthman's take. And unfortunately, after interviewing Megan on the issue, he moved on to another topic before I could offer some context to the issue by calling in. But what she said during that interview is extraordinarily valuable to understanding what the motivation behind this is and just how wrong everyone is on this in terms of their understanding. If you haven't read the original article or seen the Gazette, you have no way of, of, of making that decision for yourself. And now they've withdrawn it from the stands. And, I, and I'm furious. I think I'm owed an apology. Because I, I, I had already clipped articles from this paper, which I was planning to use on future newscasts. I'd like to know about the advertisers. I think they owe, uh, they're owed an well, apology by Megan Walker I as well. I don't know what they're going to do, do the about paper that. 
But Udman asked uh, Megan, you know, she, she, he says, well, there's national publicity now for this Gazette article, and asked her if she was embarrassed. And she says, well, I'm disheartened, and Western University has a great reputation for creating safety for its students. I'm going, why is she talking about safety? That's got nothing to do with any of this, although that's what she's trying to make it out to be the issue, right? And she said, this is certainly a bad mark against that. Then he, then he says, uh, uh, Megan, this editor of the Gazette, this stuff he wrote about sex and drugs, hey, let's get it, get it on, is getting national publicity. Should he resign? Well, first of all, it never said anything like that. And she says that, of course, she called for his resignation. She says it shows poor judgment, and the fact that he has continued to defend it continues to show his poor judgment. Well, Megan won't like me today because I'm going to continue to defend it for the balance of the show in order to expose Megan Walker's not just poor judgment, but absolutely poor intentions and, and evil intentions. This is not right. If, if she was doing this show, it'd be called uh, Just Not Right. <laughs> just wrong. Yeah, just wrong, yeah. Now, Udman said something really weird, too. He said he decided to cover the issue of the Gazette controversy because he had received an anonymous call from, quote, a man who, who he had hoped would join us in the morning because it would really communicate the pain that something like this can cause. Listen to this stuff carefully, because when you hear what the actual article says, you cannot reconcile the, what they're saying on the one hand with what the original article said. And he says his daughter is a teaching assistant at Western, and he says she is badly spooked by this article. The other factor is that the national media has picked up on the story. And he says, uh, you know, actually, I have to say that I think that call to Andy was orchestrated. I, I almost can't believe that person was for real. He might be, but if he is, then he's got problems. Because when you really hear the true context of the dating a teacher assistant satire later on, none of this can possibly make any sense to ha any half-rational person. And you, you said something interesting to me yesterday when we were talking about this, Robert. You said, apologize to whom and for what, right? And mm -hmm. that's what got me going. I hadn't even gotten into the issue yet. And sure again, the next thing I hear when I'm, when I'm reviewing the, the, the call that I transcribed, here's what Udman suggested the apology should offer. This is Andy Udman. The words I was listening for were, I made a serious error in judgment and I apologize. Did you hear those words? I did not hear those words. I did not hear what we as a community should be demanding, is it won't happen again. We made a serious judgment and error. We hope you'll forgive us, and let's carry on. Or the words, I made a horrible mistake in judgment, and I'm resigning. And then he says, what do you think about this article, or do you hide behind the banner of free speech and say, hey, he didn't libel anybody? And he says... Uh, he says, if you're on the outside of these issues when it comes to sexual abuse, to the damage done by drugs, when it comes to the kind of intimidation that the father of this teaching assistant showed when he called me this morning at 6 a.m. wondering if we're going to do a segment on this because he was emotionally distraught because he feels that his daughter is now more vulnerable than she was before these articles were written. Well, when I, when I heard that, I broke out laughing because I had a copy of the articles in my hand. It's like saying uh, you got an Archie comic strip in your hand and somebody reacting to it like that. That's, that's the level at which we're at. <laughs> um, you know, it sounds like someone who's emotionally disturbed, although I suspect it's more a political disturbance that's behind all of this. <laughs> now, Megan Walker says it's not only a newspaper, but it caters toward first-year university students who are often 17- and 18-year-olds leaving their homes for the first time. So what she's trying to say is that these are babies, that these are kids, when in fact they are adults, okay? And, and she just wants to turn everything into baby city. 
Udna says, who, who should bear res the responsibility for this article and the fact that this editor-in-chief has not resigned? And she says, well, I think it's multiple individuals and organizations that should assume responsibility. No, even though one person wrote an article, she thinks multiple organizations are responsible. First of all, the Gazette editor-in-chief, the University Students Council, its president, and of course, it is the administration of the university. She says, you rectify the situation, first of all, with an acknowledgement that you've made a serious mistake, but not if you disagree, of course. Secondly, with an apology, and finally, with an action plan to ensure that it doesn't happen again. In this case, none of that has happened. She says she spoke with the president of Students' Un Union Council Saturday morning. He defended it. He said there's nothing wrong with it, but if you want to write a letter to the editor, go for it. That was the right advice, by the way. Exactly. It's perfectly correct. But there was no acknowledgement of anything that was inappropriate, she says. Well, of course not. You just told us, Megan, that he disagreed with you. You just said he did. He thinks you're in the wrong, Megan, and that you should acknowledge your wrongness. And yet she goes on as though that conversation didn't happen, even so she, she herself just told us about it, right? And she goes, and as we've seen consistently, the editor of the Chief of the Gazette has defended it, and in some newspaper articles he has stated that there's no outrage or uproar in the community, basically just outrage through the social media, which is false. And he said, lesson learned. But he's never acknowledged what lesson has been learned. And basically, if there's a lesson learned, then again, basically, you apologize and you come up with an action plan to ensure it doesn't happen again. And, you know, that's something I agree with. We need an action plan to keep Megan Walker from advocating censorship and promoting outright falsehood and misrepresentation. That's the action plan I'm working on right now. And as far as Western University Administration, they continue to say they have an arm's length relationship with the Gazette and can't be involved. She says, I know that's not true because in 2007 we had another issue with the Gazette and former president Paul Davenport did intervene and we came up with an action plan and the editor-in-chief at the time did resign, she says. Although I was just informed by some of the folks out in the office here that that was not true, that did not happen. So she says, anyways, I'm really disappointed. Then Andy says, which specific line or tone of the articles do you object to? She goes, well, I object to all three articles. With respect to the harassment article, it's basically a step-by-step -step article on how to stalk and harass a teaching assistant. <laughs> well, that's an outright lie. No, it's not. And I'm going to make this totally clear later on. If you think that that's what it is, after hearing me read it to you, and you come up that it's a step-by-step -step article on how to harass a teaching assistant, assistant, well, one of us belongs in a funny farm, let me tell you. She says, teaching assistants are professionals. They're grad students. We know that harassment, in some cases, can lead to the murder of those individuals being harassed. Can you imagine this discussion going to this level from what you saw in those articles? Uh, uh, from Megan Walker, yes. From an average person on the street, no. From no. a student, no. Not from any normal person. Uh, you know, the, the, the provincial government legislated anti-harassment legislation, she says, through Bill 168, which ensured that all workplaces have to be safe and training for harassment. Now we're into labor legislation and labor talk. I'm talking about workplaces, right? That's the teaching assistant connection. See, she's got that left-wing labor-oriented mind, right? Everything has to be tied into that. She goes, so this is very, very serious with respect to drug and alcohol article. We know that young people will experiment, particularly with alcohol, and what we want to do is make sure we do that safely and not take straight shots of alcohol every 60 seconds in a game. It's just totally inappropriate, she says. With respect to drugs, we saw very recently at a music festival outside Toronto two talented young people who take an ecstasy and died. I mean, these are the very serious issues. What we want to do with respect to drugs and alcohol is to say, if you're going to use these substances, do it safely. 
That's exactly Isn't that what the that's article that's said? That's what the article said, yes. And she goes, and what are you asking the university to do, to do, Megan? Megan, well, at this point, given that a mistake has been made and there's no apology or attempt to rectify the situation, then she's calling for them to step down and she wants to see the article pulled offline. And she says, given there's no understanding of harassment, that they should all be forced to study Bill 168 and all the rules of harassment and all this <laughs> stuff, right? Just amazing. So And so it went. Talk about an embarrassment to all involved. I think we should call for the resignation of Andy Utman from his talk show and for the resignation of Macon Walker from everything to do with public discourse. If it's okay for them to call for stupid, undeserved resignations, it's okay for me to do the same thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because it is stupid and thoughtless, what they said. They didn't do their homework on this. None of the media did. Shame on CTV for just taking Megan Walker's word. Did they not read these articles? Of course, I would never call for the resignation of someone just because they disagreed with me. That's because I like to hide behind the veil of free speech, <laughs> like Andy Hootman yes, says. Yes, yes, I right? couldn't believe you would say that. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And in the content, or if the content of any of these articles was really so offensive, it is the responsibility of those offended, offended to counter their offense with a counter-argument to what offended them. That's what free speech is for. They never use free speech for that. All they want to do is squash free speech. No debate here, because the reason they want to do that is because they know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. She knows she's wrong. She knows she's making it up. That's why she wants all evidence of it erased. That's the only motivation that makes any sense. I find just about everything Megan Walker says on this issue to be offensive and and downright evil, and I'd be happy to debate it with her. But her approach is to silence the opposition. She's a left-wing feminist ideologue who opposes every value that you and I espouse on this show every week, Robert. Now, how anyone could possibly take the O-Week drinking game article seriously is beyond belief. For starters, you know, this this appeared, it was written by Kevin Hearn, and for starters, the word alcohol appears only once in this silly 10-point game, and it's in the materials section on the top that you'll need to play the game box. It had this game box at the top and it reads and, and get this quote, in the game box is an assortment of water and juice because of course you wouldn't be drinking alcohol during the best O week ever. So throughout the whole article they're assuming you're talking about water and juice. Mm-hmm. Okay, The game has ten rules. I'm not going to get them all but here's a few of them. Uh, number one, stand at the top of the University College Hill for 60 seconds. For every person to ask you if you need to walk home, take a drink. Oh my goodness, that's offensive. For every person, number four, for every person you see um, cringe at the One Love Rally, take a shot. Or, uh, oh, sorry, crying at the One Love ro- Rally, take a shot. If you're crying, take two shots. Six, if you see someone from the Student Emergency Response Team or CERT, take a shot. If you see them assisting a drunken student, take two shots. If you are the drunken student they're trying to help, take three shots. <laughs> my favorite's number ten. Pick a, pick a drinking par- partner and head to one of the late night dances. You each get points for making out with certain people, and whoever has the least points by the end of the night drinks. Points are as follows. Your faculty sophomore, one point. Too easy. Your residence sophomore, three points. Your residence advisor, seven points. Your residence manager, 20 points. Matt Helflin, the student, student university council president, 500 <laughs> points. An editor from the Western Gazette, 750 Ian Bokoff will get you a 1,000 points. And then there's a footnote under the box in which, uh, uh, under all these rules, which reads, editor's note, you will not get a 1,000 points. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was breaking out laughing. It was it was hilarious. Of course, like, it's meant to be funny. And even the layout, if you see how it was laid out, it's a joke. The whole thing is a joke. It's called humor, and 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 it's outrageous and it's silly and even hilarious. And yet there are people out there called critics who take all this stuff seriously. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you fracking kidding me? It's, it's totally mental. That this unhealthy kind of reaction comes from Megan Walker is one thing, but to see the media and other university officials put up with it and submit to it like a bunch of guilt, guilty cowards is infantile. It really is. I feel like I'm in a kindergarten. It's disappointing, to be sure. To, to say the least. And that's just the type, the, the tip of the, this deeply disturbed reaction to these articles that has been displayed you know, by all the so-called critics of them. These so-called critics have serious problems themselves, and they've got agendas, let me tell you. You know, everything I read in these satire articles read a bit like the average episode of The Big Bang Theory, which I've binge-watched recently. It's one of the most popular shows on TV today, and practically every episode is about the subjects discussed in the Gazette satires, with perhaps a notable exception of drugs. But on that show, the characters, they routinely drink alcohol, they get drunk to the point of being out of control, they're promiscuous, they have all sorts of interdepartmental teaching assistant affairs, the guys even hire hookers and download porn regularly. All of this is accepted as family-oriented entertainment on a top-rated show. So how come Megan Walker isn't complaining about the Big Bang Theory when they're having a drinking game? Should the youth of this country actually be allowed to even watch such things? You know, most of the rational public simply doesn't share these prudish sexual attitudes of the political feminists and women groups. And before I continue, you know, it's really funny. You know, there's actually a Big Bang drinking game that you can find all kinds of online, and they have their own rules. For example, if you're watching uh, the Big Bang Theory and you're having a drinking game, anytime Raj uh, drinks, uh, you have to drink one drink. Whenever anybody says, we build the pyramids, it's one drink. Anytime Sheldon says something grossly inappropriate, you take one drink. One drink for every Jewish joke. (laughs) Here's one. Two drinks for every time Sheldon misunderstands sarcasm. And with that, we'll leave for the next break. Okay, let's take a break. We're all out of alcohol. I wasn't going to get alcohol. I wonder what Leonard's doing right now. I miss him so much. Well, if you'd like, we could call him. I mean that you could call him. (laughs) As I've explained, the absence of my friends does not cause me pain. As rock and roll bad boy Paul Simon once said, I am a rock. I am an island. I'm calling him. Oh, goody, put him on speakerphone. (laughs) Norsey, how can I help you? Isn't it 5.30 in the morning there? Is it? Hey, everybody, it's 5.30 in the morning! Uh, okay, well, we were just calling you because we were missing you. I'm Oh, hang on. Are you in danger? No, it's a drinking game. Whenever we see an iceberg, we take a shot! not believe we were missing that jerk. You were. (laughs) I can't believe it. 
All this time, I've been doing nothing but sit around and miss that guy. And you know what the worst part is? That you're having to process your emotional pain without vodka? <laughs> no. Yeah. But you know what the second worst part is? Why am I upset just because he's off having a good time? Well... Perhaps you're obsessively picturing him engaged in drunken coitus with another woman. Is that it? Did I get it right? Really? Leonard wants me back? Oh, yes. He says they are lost without you. Well, we sure saw that coming. That's right. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to sit here and just let them stew. No, no, no. You know, they have suffered enough. You know, everybody's suffered enough. The thing is, you're going to have to offer him a face-saving way out of this. How? Say you're sorry. Oh, no. Mrs. Mary Cooper didn't raise her no liars. Okay. Um, how about this? You know how you're always trying to learn about sarcasm? No. No? I was being sarcastic. Oh, good for you. So all you have to do here is say you're sorry to Leonard, say it sarcastically. Of course. He will hear it as an attempt to mend fences as opposed to the withering condemnation you and I will know it to be. Yeah, yeah, that was my plan. All right, come on, let's go. By the way, thank you for the delicious cocoa. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I'm getting good at this. Okay, now that you're back on the team, let's get you caught up. Before you begin, let me say again how deeply sorry I am for my earlier behavior and how much I respect and admire your leadership. Thank you. Um, now, of course, the actual content that was not discussed by the media or by Megan Walker uh, you know, of the three articles, two I thought were clearly outrageous satire, and the other one was a relatively serious article with a bit of humor tossed in to lighten it up. Um, you know, the purely satirical ones are the the the, um, the old week old week drinking game article that we discussed earlier, and the so you want to date a teaching assistant article, which actually had me laughing out loud. The more serious article was one entitled Drugs, Advice for Your Western Experience, and it was completely truthful and accurate in everything it said about drugs and the risks involved. But first, to the offending passage from So You Want to Date a Teaching Assistant, written by sports editor Robert Nanny. And, you know, he said, with respect to the harassment article, it's basically a step-by-step -step article on how to stalk and harass a teaching assistant, assistant said Walker on Udman's show, but that's simply not true. Like the drinking game, this article outlines five steps to date a teaching assistant, which are, one, do your research, two, get sexual. These, these very words are all it takes to offend someone like Megan Walker. Three, get involved with the course. Four, make stupid subject-related jokes. And five, take full advantage of this one-on-one -on -one experience. And six, know when to give up. The supposedly offensive part of this instruction manual was step two, get sexual, which was repeatedly quoted out of context by both CTV and Megan Walker. 
and quite irresponsibly, in my humble opinion. To think of this as anything other than satire and humor is to consciously misrepresent it for the purpose of causing public mischief or to harm others, particularly to the Gazette and its readers. Here's the entire get sexual point. Quote, get sexual. Not too direct, of course, but express your flirtatiousness in a relatively appropriate manner. Feel free to be liberal with those top buttons on your blouse or button-up shirt. Just ensure your ensemble screams flattering and not desperate. Take it from someone who has flirted with teaching assistants in the past. Your appearance makes an impact. I used to save my cutest outfit for Thursday chemistry tutorials to maximize my chances of getting noticed, and I'll be damned if it made no difference. Side note, it made no difference. <laughs> One of the first steps probably should have been to ensure your teaching assistant's sexual preferences match yours. <laughs> I'm thinking that's hilarious. Could be a, it could be a sitcom scenario. And Facebook stalking? Facebook stalking? Give me a break. No, Facebook. I thought this was just stalking, like following somebody home. Yeah, or yeah. When the writer wrote, do your research, Facebook stalk, and get to know your teaching assistant, expert tip, be good at the subject and showcase your smarts. Totally innocuous stuff. Mm -hmm. Totally innocuous. Facebook is made for stalking, by the way. That's all it is. <laughs> the word stalk was used literally by Megan Walker as if someone were physically stalking someone, which is clearly not even close to anything that was written. It's a com completely fraud and misrepresentation by her. Every person who ever visits Facebook could be said to be stalking if you want to be humorous about it. You know, the problem is, though, that people are not going to be reading the article. They're just going to be That's taking exactly Megan Walker's right. word for it. That's and what everybody did. And they're not going to understand the nature of these articles. The only way not to stalk on Facebook is by being stalked, which would mean you have to make a post. <laughs> so <laughs> otherwise, everybody who only reads what's on Facebook, they're all technically stalkers, given this context. By definition, that's what they are. If Facebook stalking is like real, real physically, you know, physical stalking, then then a like on Facebook must be the equivalent of a sexual attack, according <laughs> to according to Megan Walker, because that would be totally consistent with the kind of crap thinking that she's pulling off here. Mm -hmm. And if there really were any kind of true stalking involved, even Facebook stalking, then how would Walker account for the sixth of the detailed step-by-step -step se se uh, steps? Quote, know when to give up. At the end of the day, teaching assistants are there to guide you through the curriculum. So there's a good chance you have to be okay with that and only that. They may not be giving you head, but at least they're giving you brain. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. A little juvenile, perhaps. Yeah, but well, it is. Funny. But how <laughs> anyone cannot think that's funny and take it seriously is, is, is just unbelievable to me. Yeah. But to take it as a serious threat to the safety of staff and students that is, is so outrageous and offensive, way more than anything that print, printed in the Gazette. Yeah. Which brings me to the last of the three articles, Drugs, Advice for Your Western Experience. You know... She talked about how serious this whole situation is and how horrible it is. But here is what was not read from that same article. And I quote, first paragraph, according to StatsCan, 20% 20, 20 of youth aged 15 to 24 have used marijuana at least once in the past year and 6.5% have tried one of five illicit drugs, excluding cannabis, and then they name them all. Most freshmen will enter Western with no experience consuming narcotics. It is thus essential that if you do decide to indulge, you at least have some idea of what you're doing. This is sort of like sex ed, right? And, is, and it's yeah. the same kind of uh, explanation and, and same kind of reaction we got. Paragraph 4 reads that doing drugs safely is tough because for the last 18 years, your parents and teachers have not only neglected to instruct you in the safe art of getting high, they have actively rallied against it. 
Fortunately, it can be learned, which is what university is for, to learn. And then the article goes on very accurately and factually to state both the positive and negative effects of various drugs that one might use, such as the following paragraph on cocaine. Cocaine is another popular party drug. It's a powerful central nervous system stimulant that increases awareness, induces euphoria, energy, and motor activity. Its effects last only around half an hour, and during the come down, anxiety can occur. It is addictive and can cause sudden cardiac death in extreme doses. Be cautious of those who get your coke you get you get your coke from because it can be adulterated with dangerous foreign chemicals. The same goes for all drugs, it reads. And finally, in the closing paragraph, which has also come under fire by the so-called critics, remember, if you can't exercise control or in, in an uncomfortable space, physically or mentally, or are feeling pressured by anyone, do like Mom said, and don't do drugs, written in capital letters. Then it was followed by, there's always alcohol and hookers, too. <laughs> right? I, th I thought it was a very responsible piece. I did, too. It was totally responsible and funny, with a little bit of humor mm -hmm. tossed in. Clearly, Megan and her gang didn't appreciate the irony or the humor of those closing lines. Personally, I thought they were funny. But some people just don't have a sense of humor. Um, you know, if I were as intolerant as Walker, I, I could sit here and demand an apology from Megan Walker for so misleading us and misrepresenting the full context of these satires. I would demand her resignation from all things relating to public matters, matters. And the same with Andy. Can you see where all that would lead if people like Walker and, and, and all her supporters were given this reign of power? She already has far too much power influ influence in this city. It's time her brand of intolerance should be intolerantly responded to. That's what I think. And I have a prediction to make about the future on this issue. It's not going away, which is why eternal vigilance is the only cure against these eternal attacks on what we call our fundamental freedoms. In this case, freedom of speech. And that's it for this week. Got to go for another week, so join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think right. We'll see you then. Take care. Fade into color color into black and white under the bedclothes everything will be alright how's your work going penny any acting jobs uh, well the last big thing i did was this production of diary of anne frank above a bowling alley <laughs> but i think things might be turning around pretty soon great how come well promise you won't make fun of me of course i would never make fun of you Okay, well, I went to this psychic who told me that if I cut my hair, I'm going to get a national commercial. <laughs> Seriously? You're getting career advice from a psychic? Good job not making fun of her. She's not one of those phonies, okay? She wrote a book and has her own website. Oh, gee, why didn't you say so? They don't just let anyone have a website. <laughs> why are you being such a jerk? You're surprised your psychic didn't tell you I was going to be a jerk? <laughs> Bite me.